The Fitness Reborn podcast is a companion piece to Renaissance Fitness personal training. This podcast is to serve as educational and entertainment purposes only. It does not in any way constitute as medical advice. If you have a medical concern, please seek out your provider. Hey everyone, this is the latest edition of the Fitness Reborn podcast. My name is Sean from Renaissance Fitness Personal Training, where we put movement ahead of workouts. And I have a guest today. His name is Troy Hadid. Troy Hadid is an author, a yoga teacher, and a uh, social entrepreneur. And uh, he's got a whole bunch of cool things he's going to talk to us about today. He seems like he's a man of many talents and many traits, just based on what I learned about him through his website. So, yeah, Troy, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sean. You know, it's always um, always a pleasure to share, and I think... Um, very often we forget to honor guys like yourself who give guys like me a voice as well. So I want to say thank you for your show and thank you for not having a problem. me. Yeah. Not a problem. Not a problem. It's totally an honor. So, Troy, what, what I'd like to give the audience as they're listening here, because, you know, typically they don't really know anything about the person who's on with me. And so I like to kind of give them a context in which they are listening to the conversation here. So, um, so just Troy, like just kind of dish it out for us. Like, who are you and, uh, and what y'all, what are y'all about? Yeah. So, um, listeners might realize I have a bit of an accent. Yeah. So I'm from, I'm from Trinidad and I've pretty much lived there my whole life. Um, I've done a lot of traveling. I actually went to university in Florida. Okay. Um, and then now I live in Trinidad again, right? And my, um, I guess my background is I've been teaching and practicing yoga for over 15 years. Prior to that, I was used to play a lot of soccer and football. And um, I've, while I've come from a Catholic home and Catholic upbringing, my um, lens on spirituality has really evolved and expanded even from a young age, you know. Uh, so when I came home, I began teaching yoga. I opened a hemp store. I had an oil recycling business where we used to collect and recycle waste cooking oil and export for biofuel. And I just finished writing my first book. So when um, somebody asked me, well, what do I do? And, you know, what kind of box I would put myself in? I really won't put myself in any box at all. Uh, I just believe that whatever I do, I want to know that in some way I am connecting people or helping people reconnect to their understanding of God and giving us the tools in which we can remember what it means to love one another. And that, for me, would be my avenue of service and my focus. Now, how have I do that? Well, whether that be through writing or public speaking or teaching yoga, um, it all to me will fall in some way under that umbrella. So that's me in a nutshell. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah. you mentioned um, both in your profile and just now that you grew up Catholic. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, there's different different variations of Catholicism and how people really interpret it and how to approach it. Yeah. Um, I don't know what yours is really like. Some are super strict. Others are kind of more relaxed. Um, but uh, talk to us. How, how did that really inform you into the person that you are now? Yeah, that was, um, it was definitely, I wouldn't say it wasn't, it was not overly strict. Okay. Um, and I think what that did for me, Roy Sean, is, from a really young age, I've always felt really connected to Christ, to this man called Jesus and, and the consciousness that he embodied. But from a really young age, I also questioned a lot of what I was told within the realms of religion. And I questioned and pushed back on a lot of it. And even to this day, I consider this man called Jesus one of the greatest yogis that ever walked the planet. And I think the foundation of his, his teaching, which is that of unconditional love, aligns and influences who I am today and has always. And it's important for me to also recognize that 
you know, sometimes we think of this man called Jesus and we box him into religion and we think of this peaceful, compassionate man, who he was. But he was also a rebel. And he mm -hmm. was a revolutionary. And he pushed back against lots of social norms and conditioning. And he, he rewrote it or attempted to rewrite it and bring light to the aspects of it that he thought was dark. And it was also a very inclusive approach. There was no one was excluded. And I think that is one of the biggest things that has been lost in, in the teachings of this man called Jesus, you know? Right. That's an, that's an interesting interpretation. I'd never heard of Jesus being referred to as a yogi. Yeah. Um, so that is, that's brand new to me. And that's interesting because just by what you said, when I think about it, yeah, I can see a lot of the the yogi aspects of him. Yeah. Um in in the in the tales of him that you that you hear. Um so okay, so you grew up in a catholic household. Mm -hmm. You had issues with the the institutionalization of catholicism or or really you had issues with the religion not necessarily. Let, yeah, let's say resistance. Yeah. Resistance. Yeah. Right. So, so, okay. So you have resistance towards the institutionalization yeah. of the spiritual, of the spiritual aspects of Catholicism. Okay. So I think a lot of us can probably relate to that. Yeah. So from there, um, your resistance led you where? Well, my resistance was ongoing because another thing that had a massive influence for me in my youth, I mean, growing up in Trinidad was reggae and Rastafarian culture. Mm -hmm. Huge influence. And what, what a lot of people don't always recognize is that Rastafarianism is a Christian religion. Right. It is Christian-based, right? Mm -hmm. Or a Christian belief system. Um, so that also had a lot of influence on me growing up. And I think what that did for me from a young age uh, was just open me up to, to a wider, more inclusive understanding of what it what it meant to embody love. And I think what um, reggae culture did for me is, you know, I say all the time, Sean, that I grew up in, in, with a lot of privilege. And I know a lot of the time when we talk about privilege, we talk about race and gender and financial situation. I had all of these. Like the, I had so much benefits and advantages to the life I was born into. But I also had the privilege of security and safety and love and community. And I think what the influence of Rastafarian and reggae culture helped me do was it, it opened up and exposed me to reality outside of my privilege bubble. And then with, with the influence of reggae culture and, of course, Bob Marley from that age and understanding this concept of unity and togetherness and what people might commercially entitle one love. So with that influence now and the influence of the teachings of Jesus to me, what this did was ignite within me a sense of responsibility. And that sense of responsibility was to serve something greater than myself. And this is what I often call when I speak about privilege, you know, to me, there's, there's so many different aspects and layers of privilege and a privilege is simply an advantage. And um, some of them, of course, are much more influential than others. But I think if we, at least this is how I, I look at my childhood and my upbringing and, and my experiences. If I can either be ashamed of my privilege, which I was many times, be ashamed of my privilege and feel a sense of guilt around my privilege. And there were many times in which I didn't want to say my last name. I didn't want to tell people what part of the country I grew up in because I didn't want to be seen as separate or other. I didn't want to be labeled under that umbrella of privilege. So for a lot of my life, I was ashamed I, I carried shame and guilt around my privilege. But when that happens and we, we end up denying our privilege, 
And in that case, our privilege serves no one else but ourselves and our inner circles. But if we can own our privilege and accept the advantages that comes with these aspects of privilege, then we can be in relationship relationship to it and try to use that to serve something bigger and to serve the collective and to serve others. And in a lot of instances, even to dissolve the circumstances that gave us our advantages in the first place. So in a nutshell, I think the influence of the fundamental teachings of what I would refer to as Christ consciousness, along with the influence of reggae music and Rastafarian culture, instilled within me, like I mentioned, a desire and a fire to serve something greater than myself and to, to serve something larger than me with my life and anything that I do. So that is what I've been trying to do ever since. So when did you start incorporating uh, things like yoga and physical practices into the service part? Yeah, you know, I'm glad you um, mentioned that because, you know, it, it comes back to like when you mentioned that you've never heard Jesus described as a yogi. Mm -hmm. And that's because a lot of time in, especially in Western culture, when we hear with yoga, we think postures, we think mm -hmm. physical practice. Which it is, but that's just such a very small aspect of the philosophy and teachings of yoga. Yeah, I, I, an important one, and I always say to people, if that's what gets you into the door, if that's what introduces you to philosophies of yoga and what it means to live and embody yoga, great. There's no wrong reason. But to answer your question, when I graduated university, I was 21, I think, and I came back home and people would, even when I had a hemp store, people would ask me, well, you know, what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do with your life? And I would always say, well, I'm going to teach yoga. And they would say, well, do you practice yoga? And I would say, nope. But I knew I was going to be a yoga teacher. And the very first influence of yoga that I had was at 14 years old. And it was a teacher I had in high school. I went to a boys' high school. And I used to go up every lunchtime, and he would give me all of these books to read, all of these texts to read. And I remember my friends would even sometimes make fun of me for giving up my lunchtime to go and sit with this teacher and read these books. Mm -hmm. um, but that was my very first influence of yoga. And, and a cool aspect of this story that I can't tell the story and not finish it, is for about 15 years of teaching yoga, I always said that I wish one day I could find this teacher again, Mr. Gayadine, and maybe tell him how he could have, how he possibly influenced my life. And uh, a few years ago, I got this message from my website, came into my email inbox, and it said, I think I gave you the practice of Brahmacharya to read in 1994. And it was signed S. Gayadine. And I replied to him right away. And I got his phone number and I called him and we reconnected. And he said to me, first thing first, let me get your story straight. He said, you were sent to detention. That's how you first, that's how I first walked <laughs> into his room at lunchtime. Right. I, was, I was sent to detention. And he says, also, I don't practice yoga. I'm not of a Hindu tradition. I don't even, I know nothing about yoga. He said what he knew was that that first book he gave me was about, a, it was about teachings of sexual conduct and sexual misconduct. And he gave it to me as a joke because I was a 14-year-old adolescent boy. Mm. So he was trying to mess with me. And uh, he said, I read that entire text and kept coming back every day of my own free will for more and more and more and more. Now, what makes this story even more special to me is he says, you know, Troy, we haven't talked to one another since 1994. He said, I have had no idea what came of your life. He said, but you've been talking about me for the last 15 years. 
He said, but why you don't know it? I've been talking about you for the last 20. And he said, how he found me is that he now teaches in Canada. And he was telling his class about this 14-year-old kid, Troy Hadid, who impressed him with his commitment to come and study and read these texts at 14 years old. And he says, you know, we never know the impact we have on someone's life and the synchronicity we've had with me talking about his influence on my life and him talking about my influence on his life and not, not having any contact at all. Um, it's pretty amazing. And when he spoke about me that day, his class Googled my name. And that's how they found my website. And they said to him, do you know he's an international yoga teacher? <laughs> and he was like, what? And that's how he found me and re we reconnected. So, so to answer your question, I believe that my initial influence of yoga as we know it was at 14 years old. I didn't start teaching yoga or really practicing yoga till about 25. But now that I understand the fundamental teachings of yoga beyond postures, I know that those are teachings that I connected with as a child because they are the very same teachings of this man we know as Jesus. So, uh, all right, just, just, just to kind of lay it, yeah, lay it out yeah. there, Dan, yeah. um, just to kind of lay it out there, Dan, then what really are the fundamental, um, what are the fundamentals of of yoga then because yeah you're yeah. right Every, everyone in the west kind of associates yoga with the same thing it's the postures it's the movements it's the holds yeah. um everyone i mean not everyone but a lot of people go to yoga because they want the physical benefits that come with it they don't really make the spiritual connections yeah. Yeah. so and I, you know, i've heard this before too is like well you know the movements and the postures that is a part of it but that, that is not even close to being all of it. And a lot of these people who practice it, quote unquote, they don't really practice it in its true, in its true sense. They just yeah. kind of, they're looking for, they're looking for, you know, the, uh, the physical rewards, yeah. you know, the, uh, the endorphin rush or whatever, you know. Yeah. You know, like I would say, like I, I alluded to earlier, Sean, I would, refrain personally from saying they don't really practice the the true yoga like yoga is yoga and mm -hmm. yoga what i mean by that is that yoga means union right and right. a lot of people would say that yoga means to yoke or unite or join which it does but there's an old teacher that wants to me, in my own words, he pretty much said that yoga is BS. And what he really? meant, he what he meant by that was this. He was messy. It was a playing words, but what he meant was this. He meant you can't join what was never separate. Mm -hmm. That's what he was alluding to. Is that if you ask a lot of people who understand that yoga means to join or yoke or unite and you ask them, well, what are you joining? They'll say things like, me and you, myself with God, light and dark, mind and body, whatever. Anything they answer is not wrong. There can be a million answers to that question. What are you joining? And to me, the practice of yoga is more a realization than a, than a joining. Like this teacher alluded to, you can't join something that was never separate mm -hmm. and i think this is the fundamental aspect of yoga it's a realization of our interconnectedness it's a realization of our union and at the fundamental core of yoga practice is realization with god it's union with god it's that acknowledgement that we are divine beings of god and so is everyone and everything around us. With that realization in itself, you begin to live your life differently. You mm. begin to treat people differently. Your conversations shift in understanding and approach, you know, and we become more compassionate because, you know, they have this word we love to use in yoga culture, um, 
namaste. We love to use it right. in the West, namaste. And what namaste essentially means is that it essentially means that the God within me acknowledges the God within you. So to really understand what this word means, when I look at you, Sean, and I say namaste, I am acknowledging that God lives in you. If I understand that, I'm going to, my, my relations with you are going to be of a certain, certain energy. Even if we find ourselves in conflict or in disagreement, I'm going to approach it with a certain understanding, compassion, and love even if we're in conflict, you know? Right. I just know for myself, you know, I guess I was, I was speaking subjectively earlier um, because you know, I practice yoga quite a bit uh, myself. Yeah. I'm not really a faithful practitioner of it anymore, but I just know that, you know, when I was doing it, I didn't really bring the spirituality of it into it. And that was kind of just lost. I mean, it was kind of diluted because it's, it's so uh, mass produced now, yeah. you know, along with, I would say like things like Rastafarianism, um, because, you know, here in the West, in the United States, we equate it with very, very kind of cookie cutter kind of things like, you know, like, Yoga is the physical movements. Rastafarianism is Bob Marley and it's smoking yeah. weed or whatever else. And it's things like that. And, you know, you, you do realize that they, these things are very, these are, these are manufactured and placed in front of you and it's meant to give you a certain impression. And, you know, you probably know that if you pull that curtain back a little bit more, there's going to be a world that you're not even, um, you're, you're not even uh, realizing um, so I, I guess I, I guess I should have made it clear that I was being very personal and subjective when I yeah. um, when I spoke earlier. Yeah. So um, so just to expand then, Sean, like for me, it's you know I understand that yoga has come through a very the majority of yoga, especially in the West, has come through a very specific lineage, mm -hmm. and that lineage is via. India and Hindu tradition and Hindu practice and Hindu philosophy. But I much much like I don't believe um, that God can be boxed into any religion because religion came before because God came before religion did. So religion mm -hmm. doesn't belong to God. I also believe that the essence and fundamentals of yoga cannot be boxed into any one lineage or tradition. So what I'm getting at is this. You know, some people may point to the depth of yoga practice being scriptures or texts or chanting or certain other practices that may not, be, may not fall under the umbrella of postures or asana or in yoga studios in the West. With, which the element is true? But the, the fundamental essence of yoga is even bigger than that. It's even far bigger than any, anything that has come through any one lineage or tradition. And for me, Sean, I believe that at the very root of yoga practice is a relationship with our mind mm -hmm. and our breath. And I, it is a concentrated, focused practice. It is a practice of intention. And it is a training of mental capacity and mental focus. It is a training and a receiving of breath. It is an understanding of the power of breath and how breath moves in our body. And I have come to be, I won't even use the word believe, because, you know, what just happened? Sean, are you there? I'm here. I, yeah, yeah things, things froze up a little bit. Sorry, yeah, it does happen. Yeah. yeah. So I have come to an... And where did you lose me before I continue my... Uh, my not, not much. You, know, you okay. started with... You were talking about the breath. Yeah. So, so I have come to... And I almost used the word believe. And I mm. drew back because... You know, I once saw a video with, with a guy, a, a, Rasta, a Ra, guy of Rasta influence explaining that belief implies doubt. Mm. That when you say you believe something, it implies it still leaves room for element of doubt. And I have no doubt when I say this, but I know that there is divine intelligence 
and divine agency in our breath. And I believe that, sorry, you see where habit comes in again? I know that <laughs> if, if you can just connect someone to their breath, and create a space in which they can deepen their relationship to breath, that connects them to something bigger. That opens for them a line of communication to spirit. Whatever you refer, you call that spirit, or however you see that spirit. So, so for me, I don't even need to call this practice yoga. I don't even need to box it. Because it is, it is that deepening of relationship to mind and breath, which to me essentially connects someone to something larger. Yeah, it's interesting. So you believe that the breath is like a, a conduit. I know. You okay? Yeah. So you know, we, there we go. We keep going. We keep falling back. Yeah. We keep falling back to that word there. Yeah, I think that's kind of ingrained in us earlier. To you know, if we're having conversations, you don't want to be so you know declarative. So, <laughs> um, okay. You know what's funny, Sean, is there were two, two things that really altered my yoga practice. And I think took my yoga practice into a different space and actually deepened my own relationship to God. And the one was learning about the anatomy of breath and how breath actually works in, my, in our body. I didn't learn till 27 years old, three years after teaching yoga, how breath actually worked. And uncovering the power of extending breath and creating space for breath in yoga practice. So it begins to look more like an intimate Tai Chi practice rather than mm -hmm. aerobics. So that understanding of the breath had a massive influence on my practice. But then as I started to embrace that, I could feel that God was in the room. I could feel that there was some element of spirit moving in me on a much deeper level. And I can't remember what it was that I was reading or, or, or whatever at the time, but it brought me to look up the word spirit and the origins of the word spirit. And I was not in any way surprised to discover that the word spirit, like Holy Spirit, comes from the Latin word spiritus, and it means to breathe. I did not know that myself. Yeah. So, and, and when you take a step back, Sean, and you look at it, imagine that me and you are on two different continents. Well, I'm on an island in the Caribbean, but we're in two different physical places. We've never met in this lifetime in physical body. Mm -hmm. We come from somewhat of a different ancestry and upbringing and maybe even different opinions and whatever. But there's one thing that connects us, and that's the air we breathe. And it's one thing that connects every living being on the entire planet, even what we might call non-living or inanimate objects. Air is the one thing we share. So it makes sense to me that this would carry some kind of divine agency and intelligence with it. I mean, you can say that we're on two different continents. We don't share air. Well, I will argue that with someone because the air I'm breathing now may have been in you 20 de two decades ago, 10 years ago, two years mm -hmm. ago. And the air inside of me now might at one point be inside of you. And, um, you know, if you really look at it, somebody even pointed out to me that, well, if, if this is true, then the air, we're, we're actually breathing air that people breathed centuries ago. So it actually connects us with past and future. And even that to me, I mean, I try, Sean, not to talk in like new age, mumbo-jumbo, la-la-line kind of language. <laughs> um, but it's true. It's true. It's that the air we breathe is one thing that connects. It even merges past and future generations. It's the one thing that connects all of us. So it makes sense to me personally 
that mm-hmm. there is some kind of divine intelligence and agency in your breath. Gotcha. So when you started on this journey many, many years ago, okay, so obviously this is, you know, a quite a different path to take than the one that you were maybe put on yeah. or one that was maybe intended for you. So how did, how did, uh, how did your family react to it and how did the people, you know, react to it? Was it just kind of like, uh, well, yeah, this is, uh, the direction you're taking or was it kind of a bit more visceral? Um, no, I think, um, you know, this is one of the, one of the privileges I identify in my life, Sean, is that I have always been surrounded with family, friends and community that have always loved and supported me, no matter That's what. That's good. And even though, um, I'm not saying they didn't question my choices, there right. were times when they thought I was a complete lunatic and, um, and didn't really understand my choices or decisions I were making. I mean, a lunatic might be an exaggeration, but, but here's the thing is that I think if you really look at someone's choices, you can feel the intention of someone's choices. You can feel the energy that they carry. And you can look at the fruits of their choices and the results of their choices. And I think if you look at it from that way and, and you look at it with an open mind, then you, can, you become a lot more accepting of someone's choices and decisions and the path they choose. You know, if, if I were making choices and decisions that were harming me or anyone mm-hmm. else, I'm, I'm almost 100% sure that someone would have intervened and made that known. Now, have people challenged my choices and my obstacles? Of course. But, but in no way did, did they challenge it with, for me in any way that made sense or, or even brought to me anything that I would have or be forced to consider living my life in another way. Right. And it's not, you know, I want to point out, Sean, because we, we always hear people say, well, I don't care what other people think, you know, that kind of attitude. That's but, a lie uh, for the most part. <laughs> well, one, one it's a lie. Yeah. It also shows extreme disconnect and ignorance. Right. Because I do care. I do care. Because if, if in some way you are disconnected from me, that means I can't have influence over you. That means you're creating separation. So I do care what you think or what, what opinion someone has because they may also have something to teach me. They may also be offering a perspective or an approach that I haven't considered before. And the reality is shown that I am human. So I may be misaligned from time to time. And my perspective and my approach could very well be limited and causing somebody else um, pain or suffering. And if that were the case, I want to know. So it's not that this attitude of, I don't care what people think, is a very immature, disconnected attitude. We should very well care. And we should consider the opinions of others. But we should also be so rooted in what we stand for that we know when those opinions don't align, when those opinions may not be wholesome or have something positive to offer us, you know? Right. Do you think it's possible to get the full benefits of yoga if you're not spiritually inclined? Um, because I, I it just kind of, it's just kind of now started thinking about this because, you know, like I said, it's very commercialized now. Yoga classes are offered in gyms. They're offered everywhere, you know, and they're always offered for the, you know, the physical, which the physical benefits, which can also uh, manifest as emotional and spiritual benefits too, but kind of as an, just like an, as an afterthought, you know? I, I think showing that it will give someone what they need and are ready to receive. I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, so I think where someone is at, it will meet them where they're at. Mm-hmm. And um, 
if they if they dive deeper, it will then step it up a notch and it'll give them a little bit more and give them a little bit more. Um, but like I said, you know, I, I always say to people, I don't think there's any wrong reason to step into a yoga class. If somebody wants to come into my class to find a date or to get six pack abs, cool. <laughs> cool. I know I'm going to bring to them and deliver to them um, the depth of yoga practice in a very accessible way. And that's one of the things I try my best to do as a teacher is I try to make the practice of yoga and depth of yoga very accessible. So when I, in the very beginning of class, I refer to the God of your own understanding. So I would invite you to call on a prayer or say a prayer or connect with the God of your own understanding, whatever that is. And I don't personally chant in class. I don't, I try not to use too much Sanskrit in class. Or I try not to do or say anything that might make anyone feel alienated. I try to make a practice very accessible in which I create a space where I encourage you to lengthen your breath, to deepen your relationship to breath. I encourage you to quiet your mind in doing that. And I encourage you to move in a very intimate, focused way. And I think within that, Whatever you need, it's going to arrive to you. Okay. So you you will you will get exactly what you walk in expecting. Is that is that um, the is that what the sum I, of it? I don't think you'll get what you expect. I think you'll get what you need. Okay. I think sometimes you will receive something that is far beyond what you expected to get, but it's something that you were you were ready to receive. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So you did you didn't make note in your website and here that you did write a book. Um, yeah, it was called. Um, was it? Is it popcorn in your pockets? Is that correct? Popcorn in my pocket. Yeah. Popcorn um, in my pocket. Okay. Yeah. So once you once you talk us through that, because that, that's a very interesting title. I wonder what that what that's about. Yeah. Right now, a book. Well, first of all, a book isn't available just yet. It's going to be released this year. And it's now in the final stages of editing. And my editor is kind of leaning towards a possible title change. Mm-hmm. You know, the editing process, this is my third editor, and the editing process is um, a gruesome one. So the title of the name might actually change, the name title of the book. But I'm going to tell you what it means anyway. Because it, it, that is, this is where the the book is guided towards, right? So the analogy of popcorn in my pocket is this. Popcorn, consider popcorn as all the spiritual insights and teachings and philosophies that we have floating around the world today. And there are thousands of them. And everyone is taking this popcorn and they're throwing it around. They read a book and they talk about what they read or they see something on social media and they repost it and they share it. And there's all this popcorn flying around everywhere. And I think there's a bit of disconnect between these teachings and philosophies and what they actually mean or how they impact our lives. I don't think we're asking a question, how does this apply to my life? And when you ask that question, when you see or you learn of a teaching or philosophy, you have to ask that question, how does this apply to my life? Where am I not embodying this? What does this mean to me and my relationships? Because the That's the only way we come to really understand a teaching. That's the only way that a teaching or philosophy becomes knowledge. So the pocket in the analogy is a spiritual pocket. And every individual has their own spiritual pocket. So in this book, I share teachings and insights and philosophies that I have come across or or that have come to me and I have realized. And I share stories of my own life in which these teachings may, may apply 
or in which I fail to embody these teachings or lack this understanding. So I use my own life as an example of what it means to take these teachings and philosophies and ask a question, how does this apply to my life? And in doing that, I hope to make these teachings and philosophies more digestible and tangible to readers and encourage them to then ask the question, how does this apply to my life? So they can discover, in other words, come to discover the popcorn in their own pocket. I don't just want someone to take the popcorn in my pocket and share it and repost it and talk about it. I want them to see how it applies to their life and how it can make them a better human being and then discover the, their own insights and their own revelations. So that is popcorn in my pocket. Okay. And yeah. funny enough, Sean, when I was, sorry, when I was 21 or 22, mm -hmm. I remember putting my hand in my jacket at the time and I discovered all kernels of popcorn from the movies from like a week or two before. And I put it in my mouth and I actually whispered the words to my girlfriend. I said, popcorn in my pocket, it's going to be the name of my first book. Really? Yeah. What do, you, what do you think gave you that intuition? I don't, I have no idea, but, um, you know, I've always remembered that experience and I've always wanted popcorn in my pocket. What the hell does that mean? How am I mm -hmm. going to write a book titled Popcorn in My Pocket? And, you know, even now with the possibility of a title change, um, I believe that that inspiration had its purpose for this book to be birthed into the world. Um, I am hoping the title does not change, but the reality is that it might. You know, do you think that's going to be a game changer for the editor or for the publisher? Is like no, 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 no. I don't think it's going to be a game changer. I think the ultimate choice will lie on me. Um, but I think there is a lot of elements towards the marketing of books and the literary world that I mm -hmm. might not really be dialed into. And I do have people who advise those things. Will Am I willing to stand up against them? Yes. But the reality is that I would much rather this book be read by hundreds of thousands of people than be read by a thousand people. Right. So am what, I willing so, to compromise? Yeah. So what uh, What ultimately are you hoping will, will happen once this book is published and is read by however many people will read it? So... If you had like an ideal reaction, an ideal response to it, what, what, what would it be? I think, um, as in from readers. Yes, from the readers. Oh, I would, I would love to see this book. You know what? I'm gonna change my language, Sean, because you just asked me a really powerful question, and you gave me the opportunity to give you a very powerful answer, and I almost said. I would like X, Y, and Z, but I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say this to you. I'm going to say this book will be read by hundreds of thousands of people. And it will make the life of everyone that reads this book better. It will make them better human beings. It will make us better human beings. And will create a world in which we are more able to see beyond one another's conditioning. And it will give us, it will give humanity the ability to be more loving, compassionate, and understanding towards one another. All right. Yeah. Sounds great. How's that? Yeah, it's a, you're, you're right that, you know, the analogy you made about uh, social media, which, you know, everyone talks about social media now, and we now have a better understanding about, how social media has influenced human behavior and uh, how it, you know, that's not always been such a great thing. Um, and we kind of, just because of how things, how people tend to be, we kind of zero in on the bad things because we, they kind of stand out to us. We're very negatively oriented as, as a species. Um, but you know, there's plenty of good stuff that has come through social media. We wouldn't be talking right now if it wasn't through social media. Yeah, absolutely. 
So, um, but yeah, the, uh, the highlighting of the, the disconnect yeah. is a big thing. I think that's probably, I think holistically, a lot of people are kind of waking up to that. There is now a greater emphasis on, you know, kind of, you know, bringing in multiple sources of potential wellness to a, to a, to an individual. Yeah. Um, as opposed to it being very, just very sterilized and very, you know, one, one dimensional. Um, do you feel the same way? Do you feel that, that yeah. this, is, this is kind of like a, a beast that's starting to wake up? Yeah, absolutely. And what I would say on that point, Sean, is, you know, I don't, I don't think there, uh, there's any one thing that can be labeled good or bad. Right. I think it, it's all about, and I would invite listeners to take this approach to everything but they have to be really honest with themselves and what i'm pointing at is this it really all depends on our relationship to something you know and if we have a relationship to social media for instance in which we are conscious and aware of the impact it has on our lives we are conscious and aware of how we use it and how it robs us of our attention and how it influences us, then we can consciously choose to use social media in a positive, beneficial way. And if we are paying attention, we'll begin to realize and recognize when it is impacting us negatively. If the first thing I do when I wake up on a morning is pick up my phone and open Instagram, that's a red flag to me. Right. If for me personally, every time I'm in a in somewhere or in maybe hanging out with Sean, having lunch or something, or with anyone, and the majority of my attention is in on um, pulling out my phone to take a picture or take a selfie, then that's a red flag to me because that's robbing me of the only experience that is real which is my time with Sean or my or, or the attention of others around me or my ability to share myself with them without the interruption of this device, you know? So I think it really, it really boils down, and social media was the example here, but I think it boils down to everything for us to look at what is our relationship to something and how are we using it? I think it's probably a very valid point there. Yeah. So um, speaking of social media, how could people uh, find you on it? Yeah, well, I'm on Instagram okay. and Facebook. Instagram is probably where I'm most active. And people can find me, Sean at TroyHuddy.com is my website. And I do okay. do one-on-one -on -one coaching. And if they want to be the first to find out about this book, I would encourage them to sign up for my newsletter and they get some free classes and free online classes and stuff. And if anybody wants to work with me one-on-one, -on -one, they can come on and or reach out to me. And if they mention your podcast at all, they will get 15% off that private session. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds like a good deal. Anyone who might be uh, interested in yoga or someone who already is a loyal practitioner and just kind of wants to do something new. I know I'm, you know, like I said, I'm not early, I'm not a loyal practitioner, but I'm always kind of looking out there for something that's kind of, uh, out, outside of my, uh, my normal comfort zone. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Oh, so one thing I kind of skipped over, sorry, got the yeah. social media thing. Um, as a closing tradition on this show, we, I often ask the audience, I always ask the, uh, the, uh, the guests, if they could leave the listener with one thing and one thing only, because we cover so much in the time that we have, what do you think it would yeah. be? Wow, I have so much to say, Sean. One <laughs> thing. Wow. Well, you could you could draw it down to one thing for people to remember. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, how about two? Can I offer two? Sure, two. I'll, I'll make it um really quick. Um, I would say first thing with regards to breath, I mm -hmm. would invite the someone to go and learn and understand how your anatomy of breath really works. Because one of the most beautiful things about breath is that we don't actually pull air into us. That's not how breath works. 
how breath works is that we create space in our body to, for air to move into us. So I would invite someone to understand that we don't actually breathe. We create space to be breathed by an external force. And the same force breathing you is the same force breathing me. And I would, I would further invite, I would just leave listeners with this quote that I have been repeating so much this weekend alone that I feel I have to. But in our relationships, you know, we, we have this thing where we, we box, we associate people with their conditioning and their actions and their opinions and their wrongs and their mistakes and the things they've done or not done. And this is all someone's conditioning. But beneath somebody's conditioning is a seed of God, is a child of God, a child of spirit. And there's this amazing quote I came across some years back, and I don't know who it's from. I haven't found it, been unable to find the author. But I'll leave listeners with this. It says, I have not come to teach. I have come to love. And love will teach. And I feel that sometimes we always want to teach someone. We want to make them wrong. We want to prove ourselves right. And in doing that, we create this judgment, this separation, this otherness. And it would really help if we just un got to understand one another and began to love somebody. And that love will teach somebody. So sometimes it's in understanding and acceptance that that love teaches rather than straight off the bat, just trying to teach someone, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Troy, thanks so much for your time, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sean. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, and thank you for what you do. No, thank you. I, I love what I do. I love talking to new people and talking to, you know, learning. I learn as much as anyone listening to this right now. So um, I'm always grateful for that, but I appreciate your time and uh, I'll put the social links to Troy uh, as with everything else in the show notes, they'll be there just like with everything else. And uh, well, once again, Troy, I appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks so much. Same as phone, brother. Thank you. Bob. Thank you. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget you can become a supporter of the show by becoming a monthly subscriber no commitments, cancel anytime. Every little bit helps, and I'd sure love your support. Also, you can click any of the links to our social media platforms provided in the show notes, and you can email me at renfitnesswarriors at gmail.com. That's ren, R E N, fitnesswarriors at gmail.com. If you got a fitness story to tell, I'd love to hear it. And you never know, you might just find yourself on the show. Until next time, train hard. Peace. <laughs>